please stand for the call to worship. It is an awesome thing to stand in the presence of God to call God's holy name. As far as the heavens are above the earth, God's ways are above our ways. But we come with confidence because in Christ we are called to be God's people. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before God, our maker. Now, as you are, let me welcome all to worship this morning. I know that this weekend has been one that has um, had a lot of activities and a lot of uncertainties with weather and other things that have come our way. But we want to welcome all who are here, both members and guests alike. And we would like for you to fill out the guest registration or the registration um, 
tablet or a notebook at the end of each pew. If you'll take that and just write your name and any other information in there that you would like for us to have. If you have a change of address or email address or phone number, that's always a good way to communicate that to us so that we'll know what's going on uh, with you and can respond to that. You know, it's always said that an ill wind, it's rare that an ill wind blows no good. Now, that may not be the reason that we've got some South Florida residents here or, or East Coast residents here, but we're glad that there are those who have come a long way to be with us today, and uh, one in particular right here in front, uh, Ms. Beckwith, we're glad you're here today. So as we uh, think about who we are at Southside, a community or a church in this community, building an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond, we want you to know that we're glad that every person is here. Wherever you come from, whatever your background, we're glad that you're here to worship the one true and living God. We do so today as we share our and unite our voices, our spirits, our hearts, as we uh, offer praise and prayers and worship today. I would like for you to take a moment to pass the peace of Christ by just speaking to those that are close to you. And let me say this. Uh, I think I'm, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here with uh, Dr. Banks and Dr. Roxborough, but it would not offend us if some of you, after you're up walking around, made your way closer to the front. Uh, I think it would be, it'd be fine with us. So just know that uh, we're glad that you're here. But pass the peace of Christ now. as you make your way back to your place or your new place, whatever the case might be, would you bow with me as we offer uh, a prayer invocation today? Loving Lord, we come into this place with our hearts filled with joy. We know that as we do that you're already here for you're everywhere. But we come to offer the very best of who we are, what we are, what we have. We might demonstrate to you our love, our devotion, our commitment to being your people, to carrying out your mission here. Receive our worship in this time. So I make this prayer in your son's name. Amen. with all who mourn their sin. 
Our first scripture lesson today is Psalm 85, verses 1 and 2, and then also verses 8 through 13. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. I will listen to what God, the Lord, will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near, those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and your land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Here ends the reading of our first lesson. Second reading is from the Gospel of Mark uh, in the first chapter. And reading the first 11 verses. We're beginning a new series of homilies on the Gospel of Mark, the first two chapters, under the general title of Call to Discipleship. And this will take us, believe it or not, up to Thanksgiving and to Advent. The year is going far too quickly. For the reading of the gospel, if you're able, will you stand? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. John was, was clothed with camel Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was, was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. Good morning, girls. How are y'all? Having a good day? Well, I want to talk to you just a moment this morning about um, how we treat each other and about words that we say. You believe that words are important? They are, aren't they? If someone says something to you that's sort of hurtful or bad, it can make you feel bad all day. Or if they say something nice to you, it can make you feel good all day, or most of the day. Well, it does something to us when we hear those kind of words, and we know what Jesus told us about what we should say to each other that stands out. What about how we're supposed to treat other, other people? What kind of words are we supposed to use? Kind, loving, nice, things that you would want to hear, treat each other as we would want to be treated, right? I know that these two, you are sisters, so I know that you never, ever, ever, ever say anything bad to each other. Y'all can't see the eyes up here, but I can tell you they are, um, they are conveying a truth that you all know what they're conveying. And the same thing that you would if you had a brother or sister or have a brother or sister. Sometimes we say things that are really hurtful. Well, today as we think about those words, I want to show you something here. You know, <clears throat> we, can, we can say things that are good, or we can say things that are hurtful. Now, if we say things that are nice and kind to people, what will happen? It won't, it won't really hurt them, will it? It won't. It won't hurt them. If we say, you know, I really like that dress you have on, or I like that new necklace you have, it won't really hurt them. It might make them feel good. If you say, hey, are you really? Did you, did you say something ugly to that? Did you? Well, let's look at this one. We can say things kind. Or we can say things not so kind. And if we say those that are kind, it goes, it's okay, right? We make them feel better. Now, if we take, here's one last one. What do you think happens when we say something to someone about, you know, see, every time we say something, if we start to say something bad, what happens? All right, what do you think if we really say something really ugly? It pops, doesn't it? 
it does. If we say, I can't believe you didn't know the answer to that, or I can't believe you're that stupid sometimes to say words like that you really shouldn't say, what does it do? It does, doesn't it? It's just like that. It hurts. It's loud. It makes us feel really bad inside. So what do we think? What do you think we ought to say? Jesus heard words from his father who said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And say things nice and good things and do what we're supposed to. And what happens? It makes everyone's nice. And, and things go much, much better for everyone, don't they? Now, we want to offer a prayer that all of us, both whether we're here at church, whether we're at school, whether we're in the community, whether we're at play practice, whether we're at work on a day-to-day basis, whether we're in school or whatever we might be doing, that we offer words that are encouraging. So let's offer prayer that we will think about what we say before we actually say it, okay? Let's offer prayer. Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to engage in relationships, to speak words, and we have a choice to speak words that are helpful or words that are hurtful. I pray that we would always remember to say those things that are good, that are uplifting to those around us. Thank you for these girls. May you continue to watch over and care for them. In Christ's name, amen. Can I sit back? Decisions, decisions. Okay, got it? Good deal. In the prayers of intercession this morning, I would like to invite you to share in a response. On four occasions through the prayer, I will say, Lord, in your mercy. And the response is, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come to you, the one who is close to the brokenhearted. We ask you to be with those who were most affected this week by Hurricane Matthew, lifting them in their despair, placing them on a higher ground of hope and expectation, bringing them to a place of recovery. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, who gives strength to the weary, Grant encouragement and help to all aid workers who are reaching out to the storm's victims in their distress. Be especially with all who care for the bereaved in Haiti, and grant that we may be a means of support for people affected by the storm with our prayers and our giving. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, who in all moments of life, moments when the burdens, the weariness, the worry, and the tension seem to overwhelm, We pray for peace, for the knowledge of your presence to be with us, that we might know the joy of being loved by you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, help us to know hope when we fear about what the future may hold, strength when we feel we cannot possibly go on, 
comfort when doubts make us feel that we will never smile again. Father, you have promised that you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us, that when we pass through experiences that distress, that you are the one who is with us. As you have blessed us in the past and are with us in the present, keep us hopeful for the future. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, grant to us the strength to resist all temptation, the trust to accept our tears, the endurance to bear burdens, the hope to pass through disappointments, the peace to quieten our worries, and the wisdom to live forever close to you. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
if you were asked to put together a compendium of Jesus' greatest hits, you would probably put into that list the story of his birth, parable of the Good Samaritan, Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes, story of the woman at the well, perhaps, the raising of Lazarus, the instructions to love your enemy as yourself, and perhaps even some of the resurrection appearances of Jesus after he was raised from the dead. The one thing that all these have in common is that you will not find them in the Gospel of Mark. No stories about the birth of Jesus. No stories of the risen Jesus appearing to anyone if you look at the most authentic and earliest manuscripts of Mark chapter 16. Nevertheless, when people think about Mark's Gospel, they think of it as a masterpiece. It isn't the best written in terms of Greek, perhaps that's why, and theological colleges up and down the land, the Gospel of Mark is the first one you look at in the Greek text of the New Testament. But it's a book that's less complex, shorter than Matthew and Luke. It's not as philosophical or talky as John. It connects well with a postmodern setting where people talk about the importance of story, of narrative. Mark's story, perhaps, is a story that could be read in one sitting, People think it's probably the first of the Gospels to be written, a story that's colorful, especially lively. Mark is always using the term immediately, immediately, immediately. Everything's happening quickly and at a pace. He's an immensely creative and powerful storyteller, one author says. The Gospel begins abruptly as it ends. No birth narrative, no story of what Jesus was like in high school, no SAT scores. Mark just says the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we're used to, if we're looking for a book to buy or to read, going into the library or Barnes & Noble or looking at Amazon.com and trying to find out a good snappy title with appealing graphics, grabbing our attention, with a good blurb at the back telling us what other people think about the book and how good it is. Mark tells us that the title of his book is the beginning of the gospel. It's a book about beginnings. This may shed light upon not only the abrupt start of the book, but the abrupt ending of the book. He said, women are seen running away from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. End of the gospel. No wonder some early Christians thought, that's not the way to end the gospel. We've got to add in some appearances of Jesus down the way. Yet it's not the end. At the end of the gospel, it's just the beginning of the rest of the story. The beginning of a story that continues down through the centuries and is still continuing in October 2016 in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's a story of the good news, good news about Jesus Christ. It isn't a story primarily about us, a story just to encourage us to be kind and generous, to think positively, to feel good about life. It's a story that's much more radical than that. It's a story that reveals to us the love of God in Jesus Christ, who said to his disciples on one occasion, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. It's a story in which Jesus tells his disciples, and they don't want to hear this, that he's going to the cross. 
And on each occasion when he says that, he says to them something like, and you've got to take up your cross and follow me. It's radical. It calls for a response. It's a story that tells us that God is with us amidst the din of soldiers who play dice at the cross, with priests raging and darkness falling, when God's Son, the one whom God says in this passage, is my beloved one in whom I am well pleased. But at the end of the story, this beloved one is in darkness. He's by himself. He's bearing sin and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. The story of the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news is not primarily about a set of beliefs to have. It's about a person. It's about a relationship. It's about God coming to us in Jesus Christ, revealing to us who God is and what God is like and calling us to turn, to repent, and believe the gospel, to come and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's given many titles in this book. Son of God at the beginning, Christ, Son of David, perhaps the most frequent of all in this gospel, Son of Man. He's human. Mark makes so much of the humanity of Jesus that when Matthew comes around and he's telling the story, he uses parts of Mark's gospel and he tones them down because Mark has spoken about the emotional life of Jesus too strongly for Matthew. And this is one concern of this gospel, to show us how completely human Jesus is, one who completely identified with us in our humanity, who is like us in every way, who shows us that it's possible to live a full human life, immersing yourself in the world, becoming vulnerable, risking everything for our sake. He comes offering hope for the future. He follows the... Baptist, John. Perhaps I should have dressed up like John the Baptist this morning. <laughs> Perhaps not. But he comes proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus continues this in the second chapter when four friends bring the paralyzed man to Jesus and he heals them. But then he says to him, also, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus comes to offer us hope, hope for the past and hope for the future. Mark portrays the people flocking out to John the Baptist, and Jesus is one of them, flocking out and confessing their sin. The word means to own up, to come clean, to admit, to say sorry. And the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, and we read the scriptures say in verse 14, believe in the good news, believe it. Seems almost too good to be true, this good news about Jesus. We're called to believe it to make a response. President Calvin Coolidge was known to be a man of few words, apparently. They said he could be silent in five languages. When Dorothy Parker heard in 1933 that Coolidge had just died, she inquired, how could they tell? <laughs> Though he uttered few words, he made each one count. There's a story of a young woman who came and said, Mr. President, my daddy bet me that if I could get more than two words out of you, he would buy me a gold watch. 
There was a long pause after which the president, without looking at her, replied, you lose. I'm going to think about that for a little while. Mark's account of Jesus coming is incredibly brief. Few words, but he makes them all count. The baptism of Jesus only runs to three verses. This is his inauguration, <laughs> and it's over in no time. He tells us Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Comes from Nazareth, a place that's never even mentioned in the Old Testament. Don't want to offend anybody, but it sounds like nowhere's will in Mississippi or somewhere like that. He comes from a place where nobody wants to live and nobody wants to go, and he comes. He's just ordinary, but he comes. Comes to show us the love that God has for us. And Mark tells us this one who comes from Nazareth is the Son of God. This is the one in whom I find all my delight. As you go through the gospel, the term Son of God, however, doesn't mean that Jesus is going to crush his enemies. On the contrary, it looks as if they're going to crush him. The Son of God is going to be despised, rejected, acquainted with grief. And the only one that gets it is the guy at the end of the story, the centurion, who at the foot of the cross has been looking at everything that's happened to Jesus, and he suddenly says, truly, this is the Son of God. He gets it. The Son of God, whom the one called the Father loves, is the one who reveals to us the grace and the mercy and the love of God who comes in order to demonstrate that love to us. And he comes to be baptized. And as he's being baptized, we hear about a dove. There's lots of nuanced references here in this passage to events in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, who is brooding over the waters in Genesis, bringing order out of chaos, bringing creation out of nothing. The Holy Spirit who's brooding over the waters of creation comes to brood over the waters of baptism, and he comes like a dove. He comes to create something new, new beginnings, new hope, new opportunities, new creation. He comes. He comes, and it's a reminder that the action of God is not like an eagle that swoops down to devour. It's rather the quiet and gentle coming of a dove hovering, gently landing, bringing the peace, the grace, and hope of God's love to transform our lives. There's also a veiled reference, I think, here to Noah. <laughs> Remember Noah, at the end of the flood, puts out the dove, and the dove comes back. Uh, empty beak, sends it out again, and it comes back with a twig, little knowing that it would provide an image to be printed on T-shirts for all eternity. Noah sends out the dove a third time, and it doesn't come back. The dry land is appearing again. The appearance of the dove here is showing to us that Jesus is the ultimate answer to the problem of human sin. At Jesus' baptism, Noah's dove finally comes back Salvation literally comes home to roost, and it comes in the person of Jesus, who in the waters of baptism is beginning to take our sin upon himself. Sometimes perturbs people that Jesus comes, 
and he responds to the message of John for a, a, a baptism of repentance. How can Jesus be baptized and repent of sin if we think of him as the perfect one? Well, repentance doesn't just mean to turn away from. It doesn't just have a negative connotation. It has the connotation of turning our sights towards something. And that's what Jesus is doing here. But he comes just as the other people are coming. He lines up in that long line of people coming from Jerusalem. He's there in the line waiting for his turn. He comes to offer himself as the one who will be for us and with us in every moment of life, and in particular, in dealing with our sin, to give us new hope and a new beginning. John was baptizing at the Jordan. Now, the Jordan isn't any old river. The Jordan is where Joshua brought the people of Israel through into the land of promise. The Jordan is the place where Israel was literally baptized 1,500 years before. And here is John saying the time is near for Israel to be baptized again, to start afresh, to go forward with a new Messiah. I spoke earlier on about an American president. Did, did you know there's a presidential election this year? You might have missed it. You might have missed it. I don't have the opportunity to vote in this country, and I'm losing it to vote in Britain because after 15 years of being away from Britain, you can't vote. So I'm almost going to be disenfranchised. I am legal, though. I'm, I'm kosher. <laughs> Pay my taxes. I take my condition of taxation without representation to be an example of America's sense of humor at a Scotsman's expense for 1776. <laughs> I'm thinking of pouring a glass of sweet iced tea into the Cahaba River in protest someday. <laughs> I just couldn't resist that, sorry. <laughs> in Britain, the last few years have been one vote after another. Referendums for the Scottish refer uh, independence, referendum for Brexit. I don't think any of the votes have gone the way that I would have hoped they would have gone. <laughs> Voting calls for a choice. What's Jesus doing here? He's coming to identify with us, but he's saying to us, and you've got to respond. Just as John is calling for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, you've got to come. You've got to confess. You've got to turn. You've got to start again. This is a, a story of new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. And as we come, and as we believe the good news, and as we receive Christ, we are set in a new way of peace and love and of hope. I wouldn't be a real Baptist minister if I didn't suggest that also our story about the baptism of Jesus perhaps is inviting us to consider our baptism. The baptism that we had in the past to take this moment to reaffirm our commitment to Christ, to recommit ourselves to the way of discipleship, Perhaps a call to believe and be baptized ourselves and to be part of the kingdom, the family of God, to follow Jesus in the way that he asks us to do. To begin, to begin, to begin the life 
of discipleship. Will you pray with me? God of grace and mercy, revealing yourself so clearly in our Lord and Savior, we give you thanks today. We thank you for the good news of his coming. And we pray that as we rejoice in it and thank you for it, we may respond in faith, love, and obedience. We ask it in his name. Amen. Our hymn of promise, response, dedication is 570. Tis so speak, sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's stand. Jesus, precious Jesus. 
Precious Heavenly Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray that we may turn ourselves inside out to give time, talents, love, understanding this week, this day, this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come here and hear this word, to sing these songs, to contemplate your great gift to us. And may we now give freely of our monetary gifts, but also of ourselves in this time, in this place. Be with us and guide us in all that we do, and may we do it in the name of that one who saved us. Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray it. Amen.
loving Lord, we bring these tithes and offerings into your house. May you use them, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom. May we use them wisely, always looking to you to bring honor and glory into your name. Amen. Be seated for just a moment, please. In addition to um, the other announcements, let me first welcome all of our guests that are here today, those who may have um, come uh, today, just found your way here. We're delighted that you're here and visiting with us today. We hope you'll come again. And we also want to say to those who are regular members, you welcome them again, uh, those who are guests. We have a brief uh, reception there in the uh, Narthex where you can get some lemonade and uh, cookies there and have a time of greeting one another a little bit longer than you've had prior to this time. We've been reminded today that every day we make a, every time that we're here, and every day, I guess, that we have to respond to the gospel. We respond either by following or by forgetting what we're called to do. So as we uh, go out in just a few minutes, may we remember that uh, after Dr. Uh, Roxborough comes and pronounces our benediction. But prior to that time, Dr. Uh, Banks has a word. I need the mic up here since it would be a little easier. You received a, uh, an insert in your bulletin that will remind you that this week is the opening of The Curious Savage. Um, and we, I hope that those of you who are um, able to be with us will go ahead and call ahead and uh, reserve tickets. Um, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday evening, next Sunday afternoon at 2.30. Uh, you have the information on the sheet here. You can call the church office and uh, leave a reservation or simply leave a message and we'll follow back with you or simply come uh, up to Foster Auditorium. Got two of my cast members sitting right over here uh, that are just raring to go uh, and they, they would like to see you there. And I think uh, one is uh, Marilyn Bates, who's playing Mrs. Savage, uh, lovely spirit lady, uh, much older than she really is. I mean, she's playing an older person. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then her stepson, a senator, can you imagine that, who's really kind of a straight thinky guy. That's Jesse. Uh, and we have a wonderful cast. And uh, I'm so grateful to Hal McIntosh, who has come on with us um, at the behest of Sandra Taylor for that. Uh, but but do tell your friends uh, and neighbors, tell your enemies for that matter. That's fine. Just c bring them all. Uh, we would love to have them come to any and all of the shows. Uh, upstairs in Foster Auditorium, uh, 7 o'clock shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 2.30 next Sunday afternoon. Um, and you will not be sorry. It is a funny show. It is a thoughtful show. It is. It will make you cheer up just a little bit also. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And as we prepare to go out, and Dr. Roxborough will have a benediction. As you go, know that you go with the presence of God with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this day and forevermore. Amen.